Welcome to Mahogany Moms Podcast. My name is Dr. Rochelle Whitaker, but you can call me Dr. Shell. I'm here to provide support and education on all things motherhood. Join me every other Wednesday for encouragement, inspiration, and information as we delve into health, mental and physical, education, money, and everything else that comes with this motherhood journey. Hey guys, before we get into the episode today, I wanted to say happy Mother's Day. Not only are we celebrating moms this month, but this week is Maternal Mental Health Week. And because it's Maternal Mental Health Week, I wanted to talk to you guys about the journal that I've developed called Burps, Fibs, and Breakdowns. It's the journal that I wish I'd had after I'd had my son. Not only was I dealing with a myriad of emotions, I was also dealing with postpartum depression. And this journal would have helped me to write down my emotions, make sure I check in on myself and hear tips from other moms who, who had been where I had been. So if you are a mom, if you know a mom, if you are looking for a baby shower gift, this is a great gift to buy because it reminds moms that we have to take care of our mental and emotional selves so that we can be the best selves for our children and our families. So to purchase the journal, you can go to burpsbibsandbreakdowns.com or you can go to mahoganymomspodcast.com forward slash journal. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome. It's Dr. Shell, educational psychologist, mental health therapist, parenting coach, and author. And so I am back with you guys tonight for another episode of the Mahogany Mamas podcast. And we have a great guest with us tonight. She has a unique story to share. RC is our guest and she is a writer, performer, and storyteller. So come on in, RC. Hello, this is RC Riley. How is everybody today? Good, how are you? Thank you for joining us tonight. No problem. So tell us about yourself. So we know you're, well, I've said you're a storyteller, a writer, performer. Tell us more about who you are. You're also a mom, which is hence Mahogany Mom. So tell us about more, tell us more about you. Okay. Well, a lot of people don't even know what I mean when I say storyteller. So I think I just want to explain to people what storytelling is. So I'm in the Chicagoland area and storytelling is really huge in Chicago. So I believe it started in New York where people listen to National Public Radio, NPR, their local station, they'll hear the Moth Story Hour. And that started in New York where people would get up on stage and tell about five to 10 minute stories that are true, first person stories. And then um, now there's a moth in every major city. And so storytelling really is an opportunity for just everyday people, not necessarily actors or anything like that, just everyday people who know how to craft a great story with a clear beginning, middle, and end. And you get anywhere from five to 10 minutes on stage, typically at a storytelling event, there's about six to nine people who each get their time. Five to 10 minutes? How do you tell a story in five to 10 minutes? That's the craft. That's, that's the whole art of it. So if you're a good writer, or some people really don't write, they're good storytellers, but one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm more of a writer. So I write everything. I take my time. I go over it. I edit it time after time before I tell a story. There are other people who they know a general idea of what they want to tell. And then just being up in front of people, they can tell that story. So it is definitely a skill to tell a great story in five minutes. But I encourage all your listeners 
to find um, the podcast, The Moth, and listen to a five-minute story. You may hear ones that are a little bit longer, but the grand slams are five minutes. And when you hear how magnificent these stories are in just five minutes, you will be blown away. Yeah. I need to listen to that too, with The Moth Podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. RC, also, I didn't share this, but you have your own podcast, right? You know what? I have my own Facebook Live weekly show. My podcast isn't out yet, but it, it will be soon. And so every Monday, I do a show called Monday Musings with RC. The premise behind that was really to talk about things that are going on in the Black and Brown communities to raise awareness, but talk about those things in a way that uplifts our communities. Mm-hmm. And so I have guests that range in professions or community building from things of fighting racial injustice to being an entrepreneur. And so we talk about all these things and we give our communities hope, give people tools on how they can kind of better our society in their own little way. And they're also fun. We just have general conversations. I mean, you were on the show. We talked about what that show was about parenting dealing with the pa- parenting in the pandemic, right? So those little things, it's really anybody could <laughs> use the advice and the, the learn from the discussion that we have. So that's really a good segue into our discussion because when you talk about black and brown and talking and sharing our stories, um, being a storyteller and then just relating stories. So there's empowerment, there's not so much stigma. And so what I found interesting about your story, and this is a statistic, but about 13% of pregnant women experience depression, but it's not something that we often discuss. You hear more about postpartum depression than you do prenatal depression. And so just since I've kind of segued into that, tell us about your story or your journey into motherhood. Yes. So everybody has their unique story, of course. And for me, you know, growing up, I thought that I was going to have this thriving career as a neurosurgeon, that I was going to make good money. And so by the time I got out of medical school, I'd be older and I would wait to have children until, you know, I was around like 35, 40. And um, then I would be established and I'd be able to, you know, have a home and have all those things. So I wouldn't be like a struggling parent kind of situation. And um, truthfully, I never thought of giving birth. I always thought that I would adopt children because I just figured with my career, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't do that. So clearly it didn't work out like that. I had a natural childbirth at 27. It was planned um, with someone that I love very much. So it, I mean, no regrets on that or anything, but I think that I had to shift my thinking in terms of what motherhood looked like for me at that time in my life and at that time in my career. I was working in healthcare and clinical research, trying to make a decision on whether or not I was going to move forward to get my master's or go straight for a PhD. And I I had been applying for PhD programs. And I remember I applied to Columbia University of New York and they did not accept me to their PhD program in clinical psych, but they did accept me into their master's program. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I can move to New York and, you know, do that whole master's. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and uh, do that whole master's thing. And then by the time I'm halfway through that, then reapply. Um, but I also applied to some other programs. But it just happened that I stayed in the Chicagoland area. And then, I, which I'm glad I did, because once I got into the master's program in clinical psych, I realized that that was not 
the career path for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So then kind of dealing with, because I already had a history of depression and then kind of coming into the pregnancy, knowing that I had this history and knowing that I would not be able to I'd take the medications that I had previously been taken was scary for me. So my motherhood journey was, I mean, anytime you have your first child, it's scary. You don't know what to anticipate. But I think for those reasons, I was so concerned about my mental health. And I kept thinking, if I am sad, then my child is going to like come out the womb sad. And that's all I kept worrying about. So I kept thinking, okay, I have to do things to keep myself upbeat and to keep myself happy. And that was, that was a struggle for me during my pregnancy. And so I think that was one of the hardest things about that journey into motherhood. So during your pregnancy, you had been diagnosed with depression prior to your pregnancy and you were being treated for the depression prior to. So once you found out you were pregnant, was your doctor or was your decision, I'm not going to take any medication? The medication that I was on, I was on a couple of medications. The doctor told me that it would not be healthy for me to continue on those medications while I was pregnant. Okay. And so how did you manage the depression or what did it, you know what, let's back up. Cause what did everybody's depression looks different. So what did it look like for you pre-pregnancy? Pre-pregnancy. Oh my Lord. I would just feel hopeless and I would, I would go days. Well, well, I had other issues as well, but I would go days without sleeping, being very, very wired up. And then I'd go for days with just staying in the bed and feeling disconnected with my body. For me, I think the dissociation was the biggest thing because I couldn't connect to other people. And so when you don't feel connected to anything, it's almost like you feel like you have nothing to lose and you're not really there. So who am I? I don't even exist because I can't feel anything. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was literal and metaphysical. Like I couldn't feel like when I would touch something, my mind and my body weren't connected. So I didn't feel the table if I was touching a table, but I also wasn't feeling any emotion a lot of times. So I would go through these periods like that. So I'd go for weeks and not feel And then when I did feel it would be sad and hopeless, or I'd be like erratic and really having a hard time sleeping. So all of those things were going on. So you were having these symptoms and you were being treated at the same time. Were these, was this happening simultaneous, like with your treatment? So I was feeling those things prior to getting treatment and then right in the beginning stages till we titrated the meds and everything. So yeah, it was, oh, well, because yeah, I, it took a little while. Okay. And so I asked that question because I wanted to ask you, when you got pregnant, your doctor's like, you got to get off your medication. How did your depression, what did it look like? Because you talked about needing to kind of keep yourself uplifted during that time, not wanting to be down. So how did you manage the depression? You weren't on medication and during pregnancy, your hormones are all over the place in addition to. So how did you manage? I didn't manage very well at all. I dropped out of school. And I was in grad school and I isolated myself and I just cried most of the time, honestly. I cried most of the time. 
and that was it. And then every day I was just like, okay, I just need to try to, to wake up tomorrow. That was it. It was just like, let me just, if I can get through today and wake up tomorrow, then that's, that's good. And that was just, that's, that's just what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go to work. I ended up being admitted. I, I worked in the psychiatry department actually. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I ended up being admitted on the other side of the wall from my boss's office. Wow. And that, that was, that was tough, but she was very, she was so sweet. She was so understanding and everything. So she gave friend. me some, that was early on. I don't think I was too far along. I might've been like three months or something like that really early, three or four months. I don't even think I was showing that much at that point. So it was just hanging on, just <laughs> hanging on. That's it. And I don't hear, I don't hear, you're right. We don't talk about this. Like I don't hear women say, I don't hear them say they were depressed during their pregnancy. Like I don't hear them talk about depression during their pregnancy. It's almost like it's too taboo. I can't say exactly. that I put my unborn child at risk because I was sad kind of thing. Cause we well, don't want to be looked at as bad moms. Right. And I also think that so often there's this idea that when you become pregnant that everything is just right in your world that you're good so if you're anything other than that you keep it to yourself because it is so taboo i think is the word you use and I, and I agree it's so taboo to be anything less than happy and joyful that women just don't talk about it and the times that i have seen moms talk about how they really felt during pregnancy the backlash that they received about saying you know just being honest it was, and a lot of them, it was other women, other moms coming back at them. So that just pulls moms, you know, deeper into this realm of like, I'm just going to keep all this to myself. Because that was one of the things I was going to ask. Did you have some kind of support or were you coming? During my pregnancy, I had kind of pulled myself away from people. Okay. So of course they were there, but I didn't feel like they were there at the time, but I had distanced myself. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> we, we get to delivery. Um, you make it through day by day, you get to delivery and you have your baby. What is that like? So what is your postpartum period like? Do you get back on the medication? Does your doctor say, oh no, you know, RC, we're going to put you back. What is that like? Well, okay, so my whole family was there um, when I had my son, like literally my whole family. My niece, my oldest niece was my birthing coach. She was in high school at the time. Oh my gosh. I know, she was so excited. But in the birthing room with me was my mother, my father, my niece, and my son's godparents. So it was like a whole family affair in there when I'm giving birth, okay? Wasn't that and, a hospital? Mm -hmm. Right. But see, I worked at the high. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but so <laughs> every, the whole gang was in there. I had somebody like recording all types of stuff was going on in there. It was like a party to bring this kid into this world. <laughs> so it was such a happy day because everybody was there just rooting for me. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know about this. <laughs> I think my dad must have said something like, what do you mean you don't know? We're here now. It's going to come out. <laughs> so, so I'm like, uh, okay. And so I think that, so after I actually gave birth, for me, it was like, 
I had to make a plan of how I was going to shift my mood for my child. Because all I kept thinking is that if I'm sad, then I'm going to have a sad child and I can't do that to my child. And so it just ended up that after I had the baby, no, I didn't get back on medication because I was going to nurse for a year. And so I was like, I, I have to do this. So I moved in with my parents for help, which was good. And then I, it just, I, I, I will say that I just prayed a lot because I was like, I, this is outside of me, Lord. Like I've been trying to work this thing out and, and I haven't been relying on you enough. And right now I can't even rely, I see I can't rely on me. So I got to just rely all the way on you. And I think that when I kind of prayed that prayer in the hospital or the day, it was like when I was leaving the hospital, that I ended up praying that prayer. Cause while I was in the hospital. I was still like, I don't know. But when I was leaving the hospital, I prayed that prayer. And then I feel like after that, things shifted in my mind, body and spirit to where I didn't get as low. I was still, I believe me, I was still depressed, but I, I hid it a lot, but it was not as low as it was before. And okay. so for me, I kept saying, as long as I don't, it was like, I was making this deal with God as long Lord, as I don't get as low as I got before. I will, I will do this thing. I just want to pause right there because I want to go back to something you said. You said, I, I breastfed for a year. You made the decision. So did your doctor say you can't get back on the medication because you wanted to breastfeed? Yeah, I was on meds, not just for de depression, but I was on some other meds as well. So I know because that would have passed to my son, which is funny because anything I took passed on to him so easily. Like if I took a Motrin, like right after I had him, I took like Motrin for pain. That it drugged him. Like he would look like a old drunk man in a crib. Like <laughs> everything that I ingested in my body, he was affected by it. <laughs> and yeah, like everything. So I was like, okay. But I knew, I kind of felt like his body would be sensitive because my body is like that. When I put something, you know, in my body, like it shifts immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was very careful. He ended up, he had a lot of sensitivities to a lot of stuff. But yeah, so I was like, no, I got to be very careful with what I put into my body because I'm nursing him. So yeah, but I think nursing him was a blessing. It was, the nursing was hard. It was uh, painful for me. I got, I didn't know you can get a yeast infection in your breast. I, and I had yeast infection um, around my nipples and my nipples for the whole time. Thank you for saying that because a lot of moms, you think that breastfeeding is just this natural thing that happens and that <coughs> if I've heard lactation consultants say that if it hurts, then the, the baby's not latched on right or because it's not supposed to hurt. And so you just yep. said it was painful. So every woman's experience is different. And so that is, you know, what we want to do is normalize because every experience is not going to be the same. And nobody, even to this day, I've never heard anybody say that it hurt. Like I've never, I'm a mom of a 15 year old and I've never heard some of these things that I experienced. And so for a long time, I thought, well, I'm, I have to be the only weird mom because right. nobody is telling me these things, right? Mm -hmm. And as far as the, the breastfeeding thing was, I'm allergic to sulfa drugs. And I guess the one of the things you can do, like put lettuce or cabbage or something on your breast for something, I don't know, whatever. But I couldn't do that because of my allergies or something. So whatever would have relieved something, I can't remember exactly what was going on. That was 15 years ago. But so there was something that I couldn't do, some natural something I can't recall. 
But then the doctors also said that really one of the reasons it could be painful is because he wasn't latching on properly. And so they wanted to clip, again, I don't know terminology, underneath your tongue, that little mm -hmm. piece of tissue that connects the tongue. So they wanted to clip that. And I was like, you're not clipping anything. You didn't took his foreskin off his penis and that is it. <laughs> so, so I'm a very stubborn person. I'm like, listen, I'm going to get this thing down. But it hurt. I nursed him for 13 months because I was trying to stop at 11 months. I tried to wean him off so I could stop like at his one year birthday. Mm -hmm. He wasn't ready. And so then another month later, he was ready and just like wouldn't take to the breast anymore. And it, when I tell you that it hurt so bad, like it was like somebody ripping off your fingernails. And I just kept thinking, <laughs> I, I have to be the only weird person. So what, what did you decide to keep going if it was that painful? Because I'm stubborn. I'm like a determined person. If I say I'm going to do something, if it's not going to kill me, I'm going to do it. Wow. So you were in and pain. The thing, did you pump but, as well? You pumped and breastfed? Yeah, I pumped. I pumped. When I went back to work, I pumped. And the thing is, I, yeah, I just, yeah, kept doing that. So anyway, crazy things that you do. <laughs> thinking this is what I have to do to be a good mom and then later on you're like wait a second I didn't need to do that to be a good mom mm -hmm. but well that's yeah. what we wanted that's what we're talking about this so we can break down some of these things that moms think they have to do in order to be a good mom I wanted to ask you so um your son gets here you don't get as low you're still experiencing some you know depressive symptoms what else are you doing to manage those symptoms just hanging on by a thread i would go and um my i would keep my son upstairs with my parents so that i can go downstairs and cry for hours and then i just stay in the bed because i knew i had to take him at, at night because i was nursing he he nursed every two hours so there's no way i could leave them with them for those two hours uh, you know every two hours during the nighttime so they mostly were there for me during the day. I, I don't think they realized that I was depressed or anything. I think they were just like, oh, our grandson kind of thing. But I was like, you know, just in the bed crying, whatever. And then, but what happened was when he was about, it might've been a, around a year. We had just started walking, I think is when I really kind of was able to gasp and felt like I was coming up from the water and took that breath of fresh air. And that's when I think things started shifting more for me in motherhood. And at that point, then I recognized more of, okay, I'm really not, I'm not feeling as bad as often. And then I was just like grabbing onto that and holding onto it for dear life. And over time, I started to enjoy the moments where I wasn't sad. And then I saw, oh, there's more of these moments. And then there's more of these moments. And I just held on to them as hard as I could. And then at some point I was just like, okay, I have this thing under control. Okay. So let's kind of shift. Let's talk about the highs and lows of motherhood. So let's talk about, let's talk, start off on the, the highs. What's some of the highs mm -hmm. um, that you found in your motherhood journey? Some of the highs are like, my son is, he's very bright. Like I started him in school like a year earlier. Okay. So the school told me, well, if you can prove that he knows all this stuff and can keep up for the first three months of school, we'll let him start, you know, be in kindergarten early, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so he did. So he's really bright, but at the same time, 
very uh, has a issue with focusing and you know, attention. And so it was kind of like, well, how can you know this stuff, but then you can't retain it? You know, it's like, you know, if you just ask the question, you're, you're bright, you know the answer, but <laughs> you can't focus long enough to do the problems and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so, and he also had a lot of anxiety. And so he wasn't really like having a lot of friends or whatever, or having a lot of big interests. And when I started to see the things that he truly was interested in, that's what, that were, those were my highs because I would be like, oh my gosh, my son really loves soccer, even though he has an issue with anxiety. And so there's not friends playing soccer with him, but I see that he really loves soccer. And then when he would be on a soccer field, he would be like, he would let loose. Mm. It wasn't no anxiety. If he didn't focus, who cared? It was a huge field. He can run. He saw the ball. So, you know, even if he didn't do the right thing with the ball, who cared? And those were the things when I started seeing those things, I was like, oh my gosh, these are like the highs of motherhood. And that's a whole and word. The, you just said, a whole, you just preached a whole word. You said, I started noticing where his interests were. And mm -hmm. so I think so often we focus on what's not happening. So you could have stayed focused on the fact that he wasn't focusing, right? Or he wasn't doing X, Y, and Z, but you shifted and you started paying attention to what his interests were, which is huge, right? It could, because that can set him up or, you know, set a child up for so much when we focus on the good and not necessarily the things that are more challenging. So, right, right. Yeah. So those, those are my highs. I mean, I love to see when he really loves something because that's not often. Mm. So when it's, when it's something he really likes, I'm like, okay, let me stand at attention and pay attention <laughs> to this for, you know, some, a period of time. So on the other side, what are some of the, and well, you've kind of expressed them, but what are some of the lows or I won't say lows, the difficulties or the challenges of motherhood? challenges are really dealing with your own mess you know you to be a good parent you gotta face your own demons and that's you know when you're on your own you could be like okay lord i'm gonna deal with that next year you know like i i was a person who since i was in college i used to pray for patience i'm like okay lord i'm, I'm reading every scripture in the bible 30 times a day on patience i'm like lord i need you to rain down patience like manna from the sky come on and I would always pray for patience. And then I had my son and it still had no patience. And I was like, God, you, you're being funny. This isn't even, you're not easing me into it. I can't do this. And that was one of the challenging things, kind of working through my issues to be a good parent. So it was like, okay, I got I to gotta figure this thing out. And I'm not going to say I figured it out. He's 15. I won't say that at all. But what I will say is that I try. <laughs> so that's still a challenge, I guess, of parenting, that the, the patience thing. And just in general, like I was really, really, really afraid of dogs and of swimming. And I did not want my son to have my fears. So I had to act like I was not afraid of dogs, even though I was like, I think I just went on myself a little bit right now when this dog came up to me and my son. And I had to act like I wasn't. And then he liked dogs. I wanted to touch them and everything. I was like, oh no, uh-uh. <laughs> eat my baby alive. So I had to stop being afraid of dogs because I had to be aware enough to be there for my child. 
you know, so it was like those sorts of things. And then I had to learn how to swim because I'm like, I'm not gonna have my baby out here drowning. And I almost drowned in the pool trying to learn how to swim. And he saved me in the pool. So I'm like, okay, this is a bad look when your kid is over here swimming to get you. So I had to, I had to go take classes outside of the classes with him so that I wouldn't bring him down. <laughs> so those were challenges, you know, working on increasing my strengths. And so yeah. that's, that's interesting because I think a lot of people don't view motherhood as, as this, as this position or place that can bring the best out of you. Right. So by you becoming a mother, you became a better version of yourself, not for you, but for your son. Right. Cause you didn't want him to experience, have some of the same difficulties, aversions that you had. And right. I think that that is, that's key, right? That we, that's what we want. We want our kids to make us better versions of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I love that. I love that, that, part of your, because when, when I asked you, what are the challenges? While it is a challenge, but it's still like a positive spin to a challenge, right? Right, right, yep. So I think that that's, that's awesome. That's the way that you, your, your perspective on it. I don't know if it was like that going through it, but the way that you've been able to. <laughs> right. To view it now. So let's talk about you have your African-American mother, you have an African-American son. So do you feel like mothering as an African-American woman, especially with a son, is different than, you know, mm -hmm. say if you weren't African-American or if you didn't have a son? Yes and no. So different in the sense that because we're black people we have different experiences in this world than people who are not black but at the same time i think that outside of the general everyday just the things that i have to deal with as a person the things that a, a black male has to deal with as a black male in this world of course those things are different but outside of that i kind of feel like that parenting is parenting. There's so many similarities. As a storyteller, I get to hear other people's time, and there's always that same line, the human experience is the human experience. Whatever skin we're wrapped in, underneath all that is the same. And people talk about situations, and if I were blind, I wouldn't know what race they are. It's, it's just the, the human experience. And there's so many challenges, regardless of what race you are. I think there are unique challenges to African Americans, of course. So yes, those obvious things, yes, I think there's a difference. But otherwise, the general parenting, I don't. I know there's cultural things that we have that some of my friends who are parents who aren't Black would be like, well, what's that? Or why'd you do that? But that there's cultures and then there's subcultures. So that's even within the Black community, there yeah. may be certain things especially with the younger generation that the references they don't even know like my dad used to tell me he would whoop me with a wet noodle okay <laughs> my dad used to say this to me all the time he used to always say i will sell you to the gypsies okay nobody is saying those things today <laughs> no nobody I, saying those things. I think that that might also be regional because the, I've, I've, I've never heard that before <laughs> die because my daddy would be like I'm a, next time the gypsies come around I'm going to sell you to them and I'm like well, who are these gypsies <laughs> <laughs> gypsies are in the Chicagoland area just <laughs> traveling around with tents I don't know but um, yeah so there's certain little nuances but in general I think this parenting is parenting I've, I've 
had so many friends, even before I was a parent who had fostered or adopted kids. And I always thought, oh, it'd be different if you fostered a kid versus if they were your own, but shoot, they're, they're parents. Even if it's for three months or six months, you still have to give all of yourself to this child. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what do you wish you knew about motherhood before you became a mother? I wish I knew it to be this hard and this consistent. Like you have to be a parent all the time. Like when you're not in front of them, you still have to be a parent. That was not in the books, Michelle. I'm back to Michelle. Okay. <laughs> nope. I, I read, when I was pregnant, I tried to read every book I could. And some of this stuff just wasn't in the books. Like when you're asleep, you're over here thinking, oh, tomorrow morning, he's got to do this. So I got to get up extra early because I know he's going to forget to do this. I got to remind him to do that. And I got to, oh my Jesus. <laughs> that is what I wish I had known, that you're going to be stressed every day, <laughs> worrying about your kid. Even if it's not a worry of their safety, it's just about, am I being the best parent? Because for me, oh, this is what I was going to say earlier. For me, being a parent is you're in a relationship. And I think people forget that relationships is just one person in relation to another person, one or more people. That's relationship. So you're in a relationship as a parent. You're, the parent is in a relationship with that child. Just like if you were in a dating relationship that you are going to go through struggles and that if you're, especially if you're thinking about having a partner who you're going to be with for the rest of your life because your children you're going to have for the rest of your life that um, you have to constantly work at those things. You got to constantly figure out when it, what battles to fight. You know, you're with your partner. You're like, okay, I'm not going to fight this one today. But the other thing is you hope that your partner is going to strengthen you to be your best self and vice versa. Just by nature of you, you're choosing this person because you're like, okay, they, they bring out the best in me or at least they push me to be my mm -hmm. best self. And I think our children do that. We're in relationship with our children. I think our children push our buttons so much because they push us to be our best selves. And if we think of ourselves as in relationship with our kids, I think we learn how to maneuver in that situation a little bit better. Like, okay, if I were dating somebody right now and they push my buttons like this and I still want to be in relationship with them, I'm going to have to calm down, listen to what they're saying because we don't listen to our kids half the time because right. we know what's best listen to what they're saying, take that into consideration and think about my role in this situation. And so for me, that part of it is where it, the rubber re meets the road. I'm constantly saying, am I the best parent? So what happened today that I could have done better? Am I listening to my child? Because I may think I know him be just because he was in my womb doesn't mean anything. Right. He has his own spirit. I have no idea. Right now he's in another room. I don't know what he's thinking. <laughs> why, why do I think that I know what my child is thinking at all times? Who am I? I wouldn't think if I had a partner that, they're, that I would know exactly what they're thinking right now. But yet I'm going to impose that on my child and be like, look, I know what you're thinking. I wouldn't do that to another adult. I can't assume that I know what's in their mind. But then I treat my child like that. So for me, it's you're a whole human being. God created you uniquely from me. And there's something I can learn from you and something you can learn from me. While we're in different roles right now, there's still so much richness that you bring to who I am as a person. And so my whole thing is like each day, I'm like, okay, did I, did I do my best? 
and and that I use the situations I was in with my child because I, because I lack patience, okay, <laughs> to bring out to be my best because then in turn he's going to get my best and then he will be his best because he's seeing me as an example. So it's the circle. That and is so good. Yeah, it's uh, parenting is 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 deep for me because of the circumstances under which I became a parent and because of my issues with depression and lack of patience, even 15 years in. <laughs> no, but that's so good. So, I mean, that kind of goes back to what you said before about being a better version of yourself for your kids. And so, and keeping that at the forefront of your mind, right? Because if you have that at the forefront of your mind, especially as moms, if you have that at the forefront of your mind, you can recognize that maybe I didn't make the best decision today in how I talked to my child or, or how I ignored them or didn't listen. And then you though can say, hey, I'm sorry I didn't listen. I'll do better tomorrow, right? But I think as moms, sometimes we don't give ourselves the grace to be true. able to do that. That's true. And so I think it's good though that you recognize that your child helps you to be a better version of yourself. And then in turn, you can think about it helps you to kind of work in reverse. So what could, have I, what could I have done differently? It always brings the finger back to you and not to them. Mm -hmm. so, right. Yeah, that is really good. So in wrapping up, is there anything else you would like to share about this whole motherhood journey or, you know, kind of what you've experienced? Because we've talked about pre-pregnancy, we've talked about pregnancy and, and delivery. And so you've been saying that he's 15. So I know that that's a whole nother something. Woo! <laughs> Lord Jesus, I need somebody to help me get through. <laughs> this This age is really interesting because, well, because we're in COVID too, I feel like teenage years are the time. And because he's younger in, in his grade, he's that I think that's awkward now. Maybe when he was younger, it wasn't as awkward. But when you're 14 and you're a sophomore in high school, you know, kind of thing, I think, I guess with, with COVID, I feel like he hasn't been able to like experience stepping into his teenage life so much. And so that's been one of my big concerns as a parent. It's like, okay, how do I still give him room but then still say, mm -mm, but you can't have too much room. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder what other parents are, and especially when we talk about depression, you know, I have battled with depression since I was young. I was in sixth grade and yeah, was really struggling. And so, you know, my son's 15, he could be struggling. My parents didn't know. I used to cry all night. Oh my gosh. I would have, my eyes would be swollen the next morning. I'll be so distraught, so sad, feeling so hopeless at times. And, you know, I look for those sorts of things. I'm like, well, if my parents missed it in me, mm -hmm. what type of parents would I, what parent would I be if I missed this in my child? So sometimes I think I hover too much or ask so many questions. And he's like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> you know, I'm like, no. <laughs> but then, but then on the other hand, you get a call. Like I was on a call with a school the other day and a child committed suicide, mm, yeah. you know, in his high school. So it's like, but then you think, no, I'm not overreacting because this happens. So I think when we talk about like how we become better parents and deal with ourselves and kind of handle our issues, one of my things has been to be very much aware of how I'm feeling if I'm slipping back into those depressive episodes and how I handle them and making sure I have a plan ahead of time to make sure, number one, I'm alive for him, mm -hmm. but also so that he can see how you can function through them, not disregard it, 
but to still have a plan. And I want him, if he ever is battling, to say, okay, at least I had a model for when, you're, when things aren't going your way, when you're feeling sad, here's a plan and here are some little steps that you could take to take care of yourself. So I'm very honest. I have my sessions, virtual sessions with my mental health professional. And I say, son, I'm going to another room right now because this is my therapy time. This is tough for mom. So I need an outlet and I want him to always know that's okay. And I'll tell him sometimes I have to take medication because of how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I feel like that's too overwhelming for me so that he knows that it's normal, it's okay. It's not taboo. Right. He will seek help too. Should he need right? Right. Now, most of the time he's like, okay, whatever. I don't care. Why'd you tell me that? You know? <laughs> he's still 15. He's still a 15. Right. right. It's like, I care about nothing you say to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think it's good for us to be open and honest with our kids. We talk about a lot of stuff, but I know that now that he's getting older, he's more embarrassed about the stuff that I talked to him about. So yeah. One other thing I wanted to ask you, because you said, I know he started school early and you said he, he had difficulty focusing. What is that like now? Is it better? It's the same. So he has ADHD. And I know a lot of, from my experience in our Black community, people are like so against a Black person, especially a Black woman of faith claiming ADHD. They're like, no, we don't claim that. That's some white people stuff. And don't ever put your kid on meds or tell the school because they're going to be labeled and, you know, all of this. And I hear that. I hear those concerns for sure. But you have to know your child. I I tell you, when we started taking medication, it changed our whole lives. Mm. My son used to rip his hair out of his head from the scalp. He had locks. And he used to rip the locks out due to the anxiety and and problems with focusing. That was one of his nervous kind of things that he did. And it, it changed everything. He was able to be able to focus better on not just schoolwork, but things that were going on in the world around him. And so you just have to, you know, know your kid and know your living situation, how you function to see if it's right for you. But I would say that first year of high school, that was still an issue. Now he says to me that it's about 50-50 on most of the time when he's not taking the meds that he's fine. And then other times he's kind of like, uh, but I think it depends on whether or not he's getting up and taking breaks because okay. online he can like fidget and get up and go do whatever and then break up that time. So mm-hmm. I think that that actually has been beneficial versus sitting in the classroom for however long for a period and not being able to get up. So yeah. Well, the fact that he's able to communicate that he's even willing to communicate that to you suggests to me that what you were trying to set up this open communication that it's happening in real time. So that's kudos to you, mom. <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> Thanks. So how can our listeners find you? So a couple of different ways. Uh, so my Facebook page, I have a couple of them. One of them is called Wrong Way Journey. Um, and that's the title of my first one woman show, Wrong Way Journey on Facebook or R.C. Riley on Facebook. My website, I will be updating it soon, but my website is rcreillyempowers.com. Okay. okay. Well, I thank you for joining us and for sharing your story and all of these awesome nuggets that you have dropped. Um, and look forward to have to have you back on the podcast so we can talk more about your son's just, you know, learning difficulties and how you've managed that because you seem like, it seems like you've done a great job. 
Well, hopefully we'll find out when he gets grown and has to pay for his own therapy sessions. <laughs> but thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Hi, moms. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you find yourself or know someone else who is dealing with mental illness during pregnancy or after, we have a link in the show notes to a list of directories, of therapy directories. So if you're looking for a therapist, if you need mental health services, again, there's a link on the website, mahoganymomspodcast.com, mahoganymomspodcast.com. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Mahogany Moms podcast with me. If you like the podcast, please show your support by sharing it and leaving a review. If you'd like to learn more about us, go to mahoganymomspodcast.com. Until next time.